Welcome to Whole Lot of Wolves. This is episode 13 of our second season. We're your hosts. I'm Joshua Buckley. And I'm Paul LePage. And welcome back guest this week, Alex Winter from Florida. How's it going, Alex? It's going all right, especially after the performance on Monday. Nori with a corner this time, left-footed from the left-hand side, so the outswinger. It's not a bad delivery. Oh. It's headed down and it's headed in! Oh, it's Max Kilman! What a moment! Max Kilman's first goal for Wolves! From arguably the player of the season so far! Keen will switch the play and Trincao was already sprinting to go and close down on Godfrey and that's loose and Jimenez is on to it it's Jimenez 2-0 Wolves the Mexican sensation gets his 50th goal for the club Wolves they held on they held down but whoa what a spectacular game 2-1 win over Everton in Molyneux Paul, I said after, I really said at halftime, that was, I think, the best 45 minutes that Wolves had played since the 2020 first half against Sheffield United. I just, what a spectacular performance. And they held on in the second half. What were your thoughts? I'd trump that even. I thought it was easily the the best half under Lage for all the chances that, that we scored. So for unheralded two goals in in the first half since goodness knows when so distinct positive there had other opportunities we 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 were really on top and we we could have gone on to to win at a counter i think in the second half albeit benitez made a, a subtle change to bring delph in and really try and clamp down in the middle of the park because it really was the Neves and Moutinho show for that whole first 45. So I think that's where he tried to turn the screw and, and claw back into the game. But all credit for the Wolves for, for battling through it. And even though they conceded, Saar wasn't majorly troubled till the end. One good save there. And other chances, Raul could have had one hit the post. Uh, Trincao with another opportunity that he should have put away. That that was another goal then. I think if we'd have got a, a third, it would have been very comfortable and, and may have even us allowed to go in and get a fourth. But as a balance of work across the whole of 90 minutes, it was easily a 7.5, out, 8 out of 10 performance across the board. And you can't forget Neves's great shot on the rebound after the corner that Pickford made a fantastic save on. Pickford kept them in the game in the first half, and I know that's crazy to say when he gives up two goals, but they really could have been up 4-0 at halftime, right, Alex? Yeah, they could have certainly been up 4-0. If uh, Huang had just, uh, Huang Chan had just waited one extra second, he would have gotten that mm-hmm. clear goal that got overturned. And yeah, the, the I mean, Jordan Pickford, he's prone to making mistakes, but he can pull off some great saves out there in his life, which is why he's still England's number one. And uh, and yeah, there's there could have been quite a few more. There was quite a few chances that were there that could have been 4-0, could have been potentially more just with how tacking and free-flowing it was. Yeah, it's the it's, as you said, very similar to the the game against Sheffield United in 2020, where, yes, he only scored two goals, but he could have scored four or five goals in that 45. So, Paul, you mentioned uh, Ruben Neves having a spectacular game. I got old takes exposed on uh, Twitter from a tweet that I had on May 25th. I said, people say Neves will be better in attacking system, have been watching different games than me this season. Neves is a good player, but he's replaceable. So thanks to at ebanks underscore brook nine for calling me out on that. How silly do I look after Monday's game, Paul? It, it, it does show, again, just the caliber of player that, that we've got when everything works in Neves' favor. There, there's very few midfielders in, in the Premier League that, that are of his stature in that particular position he plays in. But... For him, it's very much a sum of all the parts because 
having that dynamic partner work really well on Monday. That allowed him to play. Moutinho, was, he was good at getting forward and breaking the lines a little and working between that space. So that opened Neves up to, to do more. So you, you have to factor that into it. You have to factor the, the, the opposition as well. And it was a compliment that midfield pairing came up against it with, with the Everton two, and it was a pairing that they even overcome. So not necessarily all on Neves. He, he had a great game, but when when he has all the chips, there, there's not many better out. Yeah. And, and part of it is, and while Neves certainly played great and really bossed the, the first half of the game with there, it's, and a lot of it has to do with compared to the last season, having a, a bunch more, first off, just attacking options in general, but also uh, a lot more more clinical ones. Basically, having Raul Jimenez just makes a huge difference in terms of the flow of play and allowing allowing Neves to, to really open up and, and take those kind of shots and have a bit more creativity. And it's the peop- it's yeah, the whole team dynamic that allows him to be more of a, a free-flowing midfielder versus just stuck at the just basically stuck right ahead of the center backs it was at the end of uh, of Nuno's reign yeah fully agree I think just as you mentioned Jimenez as well I think Monday night was if there was one example of probably having a complete number nine performance in this new era of a, a central striker and not necessarily a traditional two up front having that one sole attacker I don't think you could get a more complete performance and we saw off Raul and that finish for that goal oh just, just beautiful just, yeah yeah you, you, one thing about having an easy chance that's gifted to you on a plate there's another thing to to finish it in the manner that he did with the pressure that you're under defenders on your back keepers coming out just ice cold through his veins and to do that was phenomenal just beautiful the the new facial hair has to stay for him right clearly that worked we, we'll all cling to to lucky underpants or not washing your socks if they're you lucky wool socks so yeah <laughs> he's got to keep that new facial hair he looks like zorro now yeah he's got a <laughs> yeah. little zorro guy forks going on Maybe a little Eddie Guerrero. And another great performance was uh, Rain Aitnery. Man, just he really brings so much more to the Wolves out wide than Marsal does. And I'll point out, he was the one that had the corner kick that Kilman scored on. Yeah, set pieces. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Quality set piece delivery that that makes the defense works, put put the keeper under pressure and ultimately leaves great goal that just where you want it for a big guy be it Kilman or one of the others to to really attack and get some power behind it so it's fantastic and what I thought particularly complements the team and again when you're adding these pieces in it allows other players to play better I think so it creates the opponents have more to think about on that side of the pitch. So obviously the likes of Neves, who are closer, they can benefit. I also think it allows Tomato some more opportunities as well, because when there's two down those flanks, it's a dilemma for the opposition to know who to pick up and, and, and who to press and who to tackle. So when you both got him going forwards like that, I think it re- it's a really nice balance. And it did seem like Tomato was more advanced a lot of times on Monday where the next stage for him, we keep on saying, is just get that next step and either beat the man or really attack, tap the box, try and do something with it. But hopefully it's coming with this type of setup and the players around him. Yeah, I feel like Nori, I mean, even when Marcel comes back, should stick with uh, the left back. I, I personally think Marcel, at the end of his time with Leon, he was a center back. And I think with the sort of shallow depth that we have, especially in a couple months when we lose uh, Sice and Bully to AFCON there, it's going to be, I think he'll be a lot more beneficial there. And yeah, the, he did get picked on, not this game, but in, in past games, he still defensively has some work to do, but his attacking benefit, I think, outweighs some of his defensive shortcomings, especially when when our, when our we're playing three at the back and we have that, yeah, we have that strong, big defenders that weren't necessarily 
there at the end of last year. I'm not even sure if you could say that Marsal is that better of a defensive player than Aitnery, to be honest. Marsal hasn't been that great um, on defense. Yeah, Part of it is that when Marsal played, they generally he plays in a more defensive against the quote-unquote bigger teams and stuff like that. But yeah, he, he's not necessarily that much. Depending. I think he should be squad depth and not thrust into the starting lineup. I agree. I agree. Paul, how can Southgate just ignore what Max Kilman is doing and not put him on the England national team? He's he should be starting for the national team, right? I think there's there's two sides to this coin. One is that he's in probably a, a caliber of centre back now that he's in the group of the the, the second tier that the likes of Mings was dropped by Villa on Sunday. So in theory, does that open a spot up for him that he may not necessarily be a starter with Maguire or Stones, whoever he goes for, but is that kind of reserve, that squad member position available, which potentially it is if there's question marks over Mings going forward in, in his club form. Stones hasn't played a ton for, for Man City. Tamori's done pretty well for AC Milan. So he's probably his stock's probably risen. So I think that's where it comes in for Kilman that there, there might be an opportunity. But I think one thing that may hold him back is Southgate's preference for a four. So what's his body of work like in a four, which he's really not been seen in a Wolves jersey. So how can that be judged on the international stage unless you get games? So if there's friendly opportunities, maybe, if there's those lesser lesser teams in the group stages of the qualifications that are rollovers, then he, he could, if he gets in, he could well get some game time and we'll see. But I'm just, I'm so excited for him, just seeing that goal, seeing that performance. Again, it just talks to our whole setup and what the future holds. We'll probably get onto a little later, but him next to a new centre-back, you, you could have a genuine high-quality international level centre-half partnership for the next five, six years. Absolutely. Alex, do you think uh, Kilman can play in a back four? It's something we've discussed a lot here on the podcast lately. I think Kilman can play in a back four. I know last year there was a little bit of difficulty on the rare occasions that he did play in a back four, but everyone thought Cody couldn't really play in a, a back four until he has been doing it for England there. And, he, and I honestly see Kilman as quite a bit stronger of a defender than, than Cody mm-hmm. is. Absolutely. I mean, he's a great captain and great leader, but Kilman's the better defender. And, and that goal that he had, there were three, four Everton players all surrounding him for that header. And he just powered through and just basically struck a perfect header into a place that Pickford couldn't get it. It was it was a great goal. And, and yeah, while it was a great cross by Nori, I think Kilman's effort on that got largely unnoticed because of just how good the cross was and how dominant the, the Wolves display was in the first half. I Now, in terms of Kilman on the England national team, it's going to be tricky because I know he also potentially could play for Ukraine. And that's part of his thing, too, with it there. We, we had a yeah, the, yeah. The commentary on uh, on Monday night dispelled that because, by all accounts, futsal falls under FIFA accreditation. So he's capped by England at futsal, which means that he's English and that can't be undone now. Yeah, I wasn't sure because in the there was that one time switch exception with it there. I wasn't okay. sure if that was still. Um, going on. I understand, of course, that he was capped and did well on that, but it's. I thought the exception was still there, but I guess not. I missed FIFA's, that. On the- FIFA's yeah. always changing the rules. <laughs> he may <laughs> still be able to. Who knows? It's just with them, it's hard to keep up with it. That's how the U.S. has half their players. It's, oh, you were born in a American hospital in 
left the country two minutes later. You're American! Yay! Yeah. I always felt like America needed to annex part of Canada that Alfonso Davies was born in, so that way they could take him. But that's another story. Yeah, I think Kilman is still my player of the year. I know Neves and Huang as good as they've been. Kilman's I, I think MVP so far the season. He's just been spectacular. Okay, and the defense as a whole has done really well. They've really locked down teams. They're giving up a goal pretty much every game, but for the most part, they're avoiding since Brentford giving up those multiple goal performances. Yeah, could it be a case that they they're finally learning or it's something that large is really drilling down if you are making a mistake it's being analyzed and and eradicated in in the future which which is a positive i think but yeah as a unit i think we got the fourth best defensive record in the whole league so that talks to what's going on behind the scenes and then at the same time it also gives and it, it's not giving a pass to the, the powers that be at the club for putting us in the position where we've still got a, a light squad. But it does suggest that they're not just going to buy anyone to, to bring a body in. If they're not thinking that they can get someone who's going to be better than Roman Saiz, they're not going to buy him. And so far, it's his performances and the defensive performances as a group that proven them right at the moment do i still think it, it needs improvement to take us to the next level a hundred percent i do but uh, as a unit as a defensive unit the sum of all those parts are really working well at the moment kilman cody saiz and the two wing backs so yeah let's keep it up let's keep going with it yeah, and part of it, I feel, has to do with the arrival of Saw because Patricio, he has such great accolades and has done so well for the club, but last season was a poor season. And, and Saw is, outside of that major gaffe that he did in the, the second half, which almost cost us a goal, has been pretty solid a year and actually, uh, actually uh, above average in terms of the uh, expected goals with it there. So he's saved about one and a half goals above expected average. So he's been uh, a pretty good goalkeeper for us. Now, I do believe there are certainly improvements for Kilman and the fact that he's getting a run of games when usually it was just in there two games, <laughs> out for five and then in for one and out for six. And I feel that's certainly helping things a lot too. But our defense is one that back in, fact that we have more attacking threat, I think really the increased attacking threat has helped our defense tremendously, that we haven't had to sit back most of the games and take on that pressure. We've been able to be a lot more on the front foot, and I believe that's helped our defense quite a bit. You, you bring up a really good point about Saar, because just think of the pressure that relieves on this and on the defensive unit if he's competent in coming for crosses and dominating that box or do, doing the sweeper keeper role there's nothing more reassuring that, than as a center back that you've got that keeper behind you that can come out beyond the six yard box and either claim the ball or put a good punch on it to get it away so i think again we're talking about a good defensive unit that that includes the goalkeeper and yeah the second point as well you you mentioned the, the set pieces that we've been we've been stronger there and you do pick up again that the work that goes on in the training ground that now they've started leaving two players up so they've got the defensive unit set they let two guys still go up there guess what the opposition have got to do they've got to put at least two guys back maybe a third so when you've got the possibility that Saar claims that ball and then immediately sets off a quick counter, you've got that at the back of your mind as well. So I think that all combines to make us a pretty solid unit from front to back. And Saar had a really uh, great save on one of those Everton corner kicks. I thought that was going in for sure and just really good reflexes to knock it away. That could have been a two-point saver right there. Yep. Certainly could have, yeah. And of course, so we have to talk about on the same day that Nuno got sacked at Tottenham, 
that was a huge win for Lodge. And he really showed the emotion after the contest. Do you feel like, for the most part now, Wolves fans have figured out that Lodge was the correct choice over Nuno? I feel that they they have there, especially with the timing of the the bad loss that Nuno had to get him sacked, and then this big win and, and good run of fixtures where we've gotten yeah where we've gotten 12 points or sorry 13 points of a possible 15 it's one that is yeah it's one that really said Lodge was the right choice we were stagnant under Nuno it was the right choice he did great for us while I was here but bringing in Lodge and getting in that new fresh set of uh, of eyes and, and tactics are helping us quite a bit mm-hmm. I think the, the measure of his impact is showing by the fact that they're all new nose parts bar the goalkeeper Huang and Trinke. So the 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 rest of that squad's new nose guys, it's it's typically new nose formation that he, he's talked about. He's I, I don't think he thinks he's got the availability to to necessarily implement something that he wants formation wise because He's playing with the, the cards that have been dealt. So far, so good. I think we it's going to be a really interesting ride to see the season unfold. And whilst I'm a little early to, to jump on the, the large bandwagon fully and think he's, he's going to be uh, the next big thing, I think the, the positives are really starting to build that we could be onto a, a good thing. And what I'm really enjoying about him is how candid he is in these media interviews. He had some really great ones from his last one before the game where he talked about how after they drew against Leeds, he was in the locker room and called some of them out and said, you guys want to be starting for your national team? Then you need to look at your performances right now. I felt like that was a shot across the bow to Adama and Neves and Cody, those type of guys. And then he's again pushing for signings. He's mentioned he wants Huang to be signed permanent now in January, which I think we can all agree would be uh, a great go. And he's again bringing up, we need to bring in some more talent, need to bring in some more talent. Now, John Percy, who you've said is credible, right, Paul? Yeah, pretty much at the Midlands reporters. So he's saying that... Huang should be agreed upon for the permanent deal in January, and they're going after Sanchez again. So, again, with, with the Wolves and these defe- these these signings, very very rarely they're they doing anything loan wise that is not for the not for a permanent move. The only one one that hasn't been is been Vitinha. Mm-hmm. So I think what strikes me about this being positive is that within a quick amount of time, they've had a look and seen that Wang offers exactly what they're looking for. So we're not going to wait till the close season. We're going to strike quickly in January if we can. And it was a lot like when we signed Johnny, that Johnny came in and that was purely, they said, a traditional loan, didn't have anything attached to it. Johnny came in, it was fantastic, and that quickly got turned into a permanent deal and, and within pretty quick time as well. So I think that's a positive, and January's going to be a tricky one, but if that transfer window opens and we start to get busy early, I can't see many coming in, but if there's two, the calibre that you mentioned, two or three, then it could be a really, really exciting close to the season. Yeah, it's something that the big English clubs, at least, and a lot of the uh, the big European clubs, didn't loan out a lot of their sort of extraneous pieces in uh, the summer with it there. There was certainly some, a lot of youthful ones on their sides that ended up getting loaned out, but not any of the experienced depth and... I think some of that will certainly help Wolves either attracting them on a, on a loan basis or potentially on a permanent basis. One that, that I like potentially could be available, Victor Lindelof, I think would fit Wolves 
quite well, and I feel he'd be a, a, a great addition now. I haven't seen any real rumors on that recently, but it's something we'll, we'll that... We'll start. You start it, Alex. We'll back you up and see how far we can get it. That's right. Hey, man, some of these other sites on Twitter can make up stuff, so why not us? I need to start the Weston McKinney to Wolves base, yep. too. <laughs> so I will point out right now that Lil has not won a Champions League game and they are 12th in the French League. And most of those French teams are hemorrhaging money right now. Coming back to Renato Sanchez and Sven Botman, both of those names keep coming up. I, mean, I really think those would be the two signings. I think if they got that done, all Wolves fans would be just absolutely ecstatic. And we can make a serious run, don't you guys think? Yeah, I think what, what Alex mentioned about the lack of loan signings that occurred, that we are potentially going to see some movement in this window. And it's going to be potentially some high-quality players moving because if you think back to last year, it was Jesse Lingard going to West Ham. That calibre of player, like you mentioned, Lindelof, they're kicking around on the subs bench of these top four, top six teams, there's some availability there if these players want to play. So if you are able to pick up a couple of those, Donny van der Beek's been mentioned as well, that may be a little spurious, but even if we've been talked about in that category of that calibre of player alongside comparable clubs, I think that's a good indication of who we may be lining up or the type of calibre of player that we could be in for. So it could be a good one. Yeah, and I feel certainly getting Renato Sanchez and Sven Botman after we were, it was seen to be relatively close. And with us being where we are at the table right now, I feel we'll be a bit more appealing to them than we were in the, the off season. Definitely. And, just getting a, a couple of, of big-name signings that can fairly easily jump into our starting lineup would be absolutely outstanding for both our depth and our for both our depth and our level play in trying to basically get back to Europe, which is hopefully the end goal. So we're talking about additions, but with the usage of Adama Traore the last couple of games, now there's more rumors about him potentially going out in January. What were your thoughts, Paul, not just on him not starting this week? Because I, I think we've seen that Lodge is liking the playing Raul Trincal front three, but that he didn't even come in at all, even though the crowd was begging for him to come in. I said at the end of the summer window that, it's only a good window if you herald the fact that you keep Neves and Traore if you're able to lock them down further. And Neves has got a few extra years and Traore, but it, it's fairly damning to me that we're into November now, a month away from December and the window opening, that there hasn't been that contract offer. So I highly doubt that Fosun are going to threatened to, to run it down into the summer. So I think as it stands, he, he could be off. And I think how I'm looking at it is that probably Lars has had a look see at him and thought, is he going to be a fit? And at the moment, it, it doesn't look like he will be because formation-wise, he's not really took an opportunity in there to really nail down a starting berth consistently. So I think that weighs against him. I think another avenue that Large could have worked with him on would be as a genuine second striker to Raul. That's definitely turned into Wang now as yeah. well. So if Trinko's starting and Podence is his first option off the bench, then you've got a feeling that his days are numbered. You really do. Yeah, it's something that his days certainly could be be numbered, but there's also the fact that it's like what team is going to go after Adama after getting benched by Lodge and Nuno not being at Tottenham, so not really needing 
him with that and going on, even though he's had some good performances this year, it still hasn't really led to anything concrete. It's more a question of, is there a big club out there willing to pay transfer fee in order to get him? I think part of the strategy might be as well is that, hey, no one's going to necessarily get you. Talk down your salary demands from the 120,000 pounds a week or whatever he was asking uh, in the summer to to something a bit more reasonable to a some to a starter slash squad player, depending on how they want to play that specific match. And so it's going to be tricky going to be tricky really the only one that i could consider just because they're the only one i consider really going after them is newcastle with all the newfound money that they have going after someone who's a, a big name and looking for page outside of that i don't really see avenue for him leaving yeah i think what we're starting to see is when lodge is going with this when he goes with the five in the back he likes the wing backs to really be patrolling the outside and he wants those wingers to be a lot more narrow Huang and Trin Cao playing a lot more inside and that's just not Adama's game and I think we saw that when he tried to use Huang Raul and Adama in the Leeds game we kind of saw that what I think I, I still want to see him in the legendary 4-4-2 that we know is going to come at some point once Lodge starts getting in his people. Because then I would imagine those two outside midfielders would act more as wingers with Adama on one side. And ideally, you're hoping it would be Neto at another point because then you're figuring Hawaii inside. But until that happens, yeah, I feel like Trincao is who Lodge is going to be going with from here on out. Yeah, and it's uh, it's something that it could be certainly that you sell Triore to have the funds to pay for the thirty million dollar valuation of, of Trincao with there. It's uh, and that certainly could be something that that ends up happening. It's just I don't necessarily see one of the, the big clubs putting out that that type of of money for Adama after sort of the run that he's had the past 18 months. Mm-hmm. There, def- there definitely doesn't seem that path into a Champions League team that I think would be his expectation, that if he's going to take the jump to the next level, then it's got to be for a team playing in the top-tier competition in Europe. So it, it doesn't seem a natural fit to any of those English sides it doesn't seem like there's the market potentially for him to go to one of the big Spanish teams the way they play, which, again, would give him that European competition, also put him more potentially in the spotlight when it comes to national honours. So it really is. It's where is that next step? And I think you bring up a valid point that it could be the likes of Newcastle that whilst flushed with cash, it's definitely a sidestep, if not a backward step at the moment, given the relative positions in the league table, that could be potential there. The other one is, and they were mentioned in the summer, that now that his contract's been further reduced, so that in turn brings his value down, does that interest from Leeds pop back up again because he's £5 million cheaper or 10 potentially? If he's not going to sign a contract and he's not set the world on fire in terms of assists and goals. So I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those a little like Jota that you don't want him leaving mm-hmm. and staying in the league and it comes back to, to bite on the ass. So it, re- it really is tricky. I hope they find a spot for him because he's such a unique player and him just coming onto the pitch instills fear. In the opposition. And like still Pedence is flaky that he looks a world beater one week. He looks like the perfect super sub the next. He gets a start and doesn't do anything or he comes on to try and close the game out and it's a struggle and we're still under pressure. Whereas if it's a case of Troyer comes on, is he going to be a better option? Is he going to put the fear in the defence a little more than Pedence does? And it is probably a yes. The, my only worry is that 
the likes of Pedence do more on the training field in front of Lars and his team than Adama does. And it could even be the, the classic case of Pedence is working harder or he's trying to add to his game. He's not getting kicked and rolling round and looking for the fouls. He's getting up. We're not seeing the hand bang of the of the grass that we see from Adama and looking round for a foul. Because if you are coming on with 15, 10 minutes to go, that's the last thing that you want to see is, is someone coughing up possession and, and not bursting along to, to get back and help the team. So... A lot of this we're speculating on because we don't know what goes on at Compton and, and who really stands out. So it's a traditional 3 p.m. kickoff in England again this Saturday. But the difference with their clocks going back pushes our start time back an hour. So that's 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Central time over here. And we're going to hear everything that's been going on at Selhurst Park thanks to Matt Sampson. He's a member of the Palace Supporters Group in D.C. How's it going again, Matt? Hey guys, I'm not sure if I was invited for a uh, match preview or some kind of weird uh, Nuno support therapy group here tonight. You guys <laughs> broke up with him. We flirted with him at the bar. We got his number, <laughs> but then Tottenham swooped in at the last call. Now they've dumped him. So we might need to get a Spurs, uh, you know, fan on here. We'll open up a bottle of Chardonnay, have a good cry, just kind of sort our feelings out. But uh, so that brings up, yeah, that yes. brings up a good question. Um, were you glad that they didn't? appoint Nuno as the manager? Oh, after seeing, I was certainly disappointed when when it didn't happen there. I was looking forward to, to having him, but yeah, it turns out now seeing what a car crash it turned into there at Tottenham and seeing, but we'll get into it, obviously, how uh, Vieira's kind of come on in Palace. Very happy with how things worked out. So. Yeah, okay. Spurs seem to soon swipe right on Nuno as the <laughs> dating yeah. game goes, according to the kids nowadays. So. Exactly, and both of our clubs seem you know better for it. You know, no losses in 10 combined matches. Granted, you guys are doing it more with wins than with draws like we are, but still, not bad. We got a two two clubs on a nice run of form and really seem to be finding their ways under new leadership. So I think it'll be for a very interesting match on Saturday. Hey, man, points are points. So <laughs> there has been somewhat of a changing of the guard at Palace. Yes, indeed. Paul wrote, Paul wrote that <laughs> joke. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm taking credit for that one. So what's life been like under the new manager and with the new arrivals? It's interesting that even with Saturday's fantastic result against City, Palace is still a tick under last year's point total after 10 games. The feeling around the club this year is just remarkably different. There's a real optimism around how we've been playing and where folks think we can go. Looking back at last year, there was just such a feeling of kind of hanging on where can we stay up for another season can we keep enough of these aging guys healthy to field a decent squad every week can we spring one successful counterattack in a game and then cling to a 1-0 lead for anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes and all of that is is gone now and obviously change started at the top with the appointment of Patrick Vieira. The guy is far from our first choice, but you'd be hard-pressed to find any who are you know, currently upset with the selection. He's overhauled the system, overhauled the roster, all while forming what appears to be you know, great bonds with the players. It seems like there's just a massive amount of respect for his accomplishments as a player in the Premier League. I mean, several of our new signees mentioned his resume as a player and being able to learn from someone like him as a top reason for coming over to them. And that's not to say that there haven't been issues or draws against both Brighton and Arsenal, where we saw points slip away on goals given up in extra time, where just absolutely gutting and the direct result of some defensive lapses that really shouldn't have happened. And Newcastle grabbed a point against us by playing exactly the way that <laughs> Palace would have played under Hodgson last year. You'd think we would have known how to deal with that, but we didn't. So would I, would I like to have four more points right now and be sitting in the top half of the table? Sure. But in the meantime, it's been really fun watching both the, the players and the manager grow up together. 
And I think a perfect example of that is how we closed out the game on Saturday. After giving up that late back-breaking goal against Brighton, Vieira tried to protect the lead against Arsenal. He brought James Tompkins in. They played five across the back. It absolutely eliminated any chance Palace had for possession or to counter and kill the game. And even with the five across the back, we gave up a goal and Arsenal grabbed a point out of it. And you fast forward to the City game two weeks later and up 1-0, he opts for Michael Elise, one of the new arrivals as his final sub, who winds up leading the counterattack, setting up Conor Gallagher for the goal that made it 2-0. Now, was Tompkins a bad sub against Arsenal? Not necessarily. And is going with a forward player like Elise always going to be the right move to close out a game? Probably not. But on Saturday, especially against a, a city side that was desperate for a goal and kind of leaving itself opened in the back, it wound up being brilliant. And to have a manager who says, hey, let's try something different this time, and then having it work is something that Palace fans were not used to seeing under Roy Hodgson. So it's been it's been a real treat so far this year. So do you think you'll see that come Saturday? Will there be any sort of differences in setup or tactics seems that you're at home or based on how the walls come as, as an opponent? Yeah, I think and I hope you'll see Palace out on the front foot more than you probably have been you know, accustomed to seeing them in years past. That's certainly been a welcome trend under Vieira. A quick look at the, the stats that shows Palace is right around 60% possession when playing at home. I think the energy at Selhurst Park and probably coupled with the fact that you know, they know Wolves have had 48 hours less rest mean that they'll probably really try to come out on the attack. Tactically speaking, again, a new wrinkle under Vieira. They've mixed in spurts of going to a high press on occasion this year, like a almost like a college basketball team who just does it for four or five minutes. They'll come out and press. And that, given the club's recent history, that's been equal parts weird to watch and also wildly effective at times. It forced both Arsenal and City into bad balls in their own halves that led directly to goals. As far as kind of formation, save for a really odd and unexpected 4-4-2 in the opening loss to Chelsea, they've settled into a 4-3-3 in every other match. So I don't expect them to really change that up this week. And then as far as actual personnel in the game, barring any knocks that happen in training this week, I could really only see two potential changes to the lineup that face the first being Christian Benteke starting for Jordan Ayew up front. I was a guy who's probably a little bit underappreciated at times. I know I've certainly had moments of frustration with him, but he brings a lot to the table in terms of his defense, his work rate, his ability to possess the ball and draw free kicks. What he doesn't do very well for a forward player is score goals. He's got none in his last 38 appearances. He's a guy you want in there when you're really trying to slow down an explosive team like City. But I think against Wolves, Palace will want more firepower in there right out of the gate. And starting a Benteke and Austin Edward up front gives them two big targets and bigger threats inside the penalty area. And then the second potential sub I, I would possibly see is Luka Milvojevic coming back in for Czech Kierte in the midfield. I'd actually be a little disappointed if this happened. I thought Kierte did really well against City. He's got a bit more pace than Luka. He's better in the air. Lucas Forte has been his ability on free kicks and corners, but Connor Gallagher's really been handling those quite capably when Milivojevic has been out and sometimes even when Luka's been in the game. But Luka's the guy who's had the Palace armband for a number of years now, and so it wouldn't surprise me if he's back in the 11 come Saturday. So when it comes to the game and with everybody that's out there, who do Wolves need to be on the lookout for when it comes to players in form or the danger men? Sure. This conversation used to begin and sadly often end with <laughs> Wilf Zaha. Um, yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to set him aside because I probably spent too much time talking about him during our last couple of chats. But obviously, it's his goal in all around game versus city shows. He's still a player who certainly warrants all the attention he draws. But I do want to take a moment to talk about Connor Gallagher. The fact is, I'm already sad about the day that his loan ends. And to be honest, I have no idea why we haven't offered Chelsea 350 million million pounds for him already. He has been, (laughs) in a word, sensational. Scored twice at West Ham to steal a point for us and then had the goal to ice things against City. Just the energy he's brought to the club is infectious and his teammates really seem to feed off it. 
when Gallagher's not the one scoring, he's the first to jump on a teammate's back or join them in the slide to the corner flag. She's just been an absolute joy to watch and I would say our player of the season to date. Secondly, Michael Lise has been brought along slowly. 19-year-old arrived from Reading over the summer had a back injury that limited him some of his time in the preseason, but he's playing that role of super sub just brilliantly. Goal and an assist so far in six appearances. And his pace against a, a City team, as we were saying, just opened up at the back late in the match, got the counterattack started, and is, just had a lovely little touch to set up Gallagher perfectly for the goal that killed Saturday's game. So I'd say those were the, yeah, Wilf Gallagher and Elise are probably the big three there. Let's go ahead and talk about Saturday's game against Crystal Palace. Paul, what are your initial thoughts? It sounds like after talking to Matt Sampson that this could be a pretty interesting contest. It could be. I was a little worried that they're obviously coming off the back of a great win away at Man City. And it's a newer team with that seems as an injection of life somewhat into the Crystal Palace that we previously knew. So that has me worried a little bit and, and the likes of their form players. And when he's mentioning Conor Gallagher, that really stood out as someone that we need to be really watchful for because I think he's a player. But then very much along the line to what he's saying is that he's going to be more attacking and we're going to be in our element that we, we're going away from home if a, if a team attacks us. If we're having the confidence that we're bringing off this good run, that there's an opportunity. It could be a pretty open game and we could take advantage. So you want to see the positives of the first half on Monday night, but not the negatives of our previous away performance against Leeds which a, a side like Palace with some more weapons in their uh, arsenal up front could do us more damage than Leeds potentially. So it's, it's going to be, a, I think, going to be quite entertaining uh, fixture that's one to look forward to. And I'll probably just turn that into a boring nil-nil draw. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes with Crystal Palace's last few fixtures. They are on a, a five-game unbeaten run as well, though four of them are draws with there. So they've, outside of the, the win last week at against Man City with there, which who they always seem to play very well. It's uh, it's they've had some good performances against some good sides. Definitely more attacking under Vieira, but it this is one of the games where I feel that after such a big win against Manchester City, I feel Palace is going to be let down a bit facing Wolves. And uh, I feel that we can go on ahead and sneak there and, and get a narrow victory with there personally. Yeah, I could definitely see that. All right, so let's hear some predictions then. Alex, you gave us a little sneak preview. Uh, a little uh, sneak preview there. I, I am going to basically, as I said, a, a narrow victory. I'm going to actually pick the exact same scoreline as the last game. It's going to be 2-1 to one Wolves. I'd probably be happy with the point, I think. Again, pretty much any point away from home in, in the Premier League is a good point oftentimes and especially if Palace are on a, on a decent run so I, I won't sour it and say it'll be nil I'll, I'll go on the the entertainment line and say 2-2 two, two. I'm gonna say 1-1 one, one as well I'm, I'm feeling a draw which wouldn't be the worst thing but yeah I, I'm feeling the same way as you Paul one other question here so our next three games are Crystal Palace West Ham Norwich how many points do you want to see to be happy and realistically how many points you think they're going to get I'll let you start Alex you'd want six points out of those three games just because of how well West Ham is playing and just because of the relative league position of of awesome palace and course Norwich being a eternal struggle this year I'd say realistically I would probably even though I picked a palace victory I'm gonna say probably realistic four maybe five points but I'd be happy I'd be content with four happy with five and and elated with six so. how about you Paul I think that summarizes it 
script pretty perfectly, especially the 5.1 in that a, a draw on Saturdays, not a bad result. A draw at home against West Ham, even though we're at home, they're flying. That would be a good result. And really, you should be going to Carra Road against Norwich and, and going for the win there. So five would be ideal. I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, ideally, I think we'd get seven points out of these next three games with two wins and a draw. But I agree. I think I would be very happy with five. Four would be okay. I I think we'd still be in good shape, especially with the, the tough December coming up. If we get less than four points here, that could start a little nervousness here. But I think with the way they've been playing, four should be a pretty safe number. If you are planning stepping out and actually watching the game with like-minded fans on Saturday, I've actually got a few to tell you about from various folk who've been in touch or uh, are doing something uh, together in a group. First up is Todd DeWitt, who is on the lookout for fans to watch together in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And he said he's thinking about the Black Heart in St. Paul as a potential venue. So Todd's active both on Twitter and within the Wolves USA group on Facebook. But if neither of these channels are available to you, then do let us know and we'll put you in touch directly with Todd. Similarly, there's an inaugural meeting in the Dallas Fort Worth area of some fans on Saturday as well. So that's really exciting. They're going to be getting together in the Londoner in Collierville. So again, if you are in the DFW area and would like to go along, then we can help make some connections there. Other other than that, you you can turn up uh, at the venue. Uh, And finally, your good friends at Houston Wolves will be meeting as usual in Nick's Place Sports Bar. Any Houstonians out there that we've not met, do come along. Absolutely. Should be a fun one with that uh, 10 o'clock start this time. Yes, just another excuse for the beers to flow early. (laughs) Okay, and finally, Alex, before we wrap up, what do you and the crew in Florida have going on? We've been trying to to get some dates for uh, another meetup, one for Orlando, and they're certainly in, in Florida, more down by the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. They've got some they've set up a, a couple of, of meetups down there but we're looking to to set something up soon in or in orlando i don't have any exact date yet but we will we'll try to let everyone know once uh, it does end up uh, occurring there mm-hmm. awesome that brings this week's show to an end so please continue to do what you can in terms of liking subscribing and reviewing a whole lot of wolves on the podcast platform that you find yourself listening to us on that helps a tremendous amount we'll be back next week to review the palace game before having a break for the last internationals of the calendar year some may say thankfully me included so in the meantime up the wolves (laughs) 